0: Hi, this is Michael Azarad, Editor-in-Chief of the Talkhouse, and welcome to the newest episode of the Talkhouse Music Podcast. Today's Talk House Music Podcast has a story behind it. Liam Wilson of the absolutely intense hardcore metal math rock band The Dillinger Escape Plan wrote a kind of ambivalent Talkhouse piece about the new album by Winger, the huge 80s pop metal band. The funny thing is, after that, Wilson and the band's leader Kip Winger struck up an email correspondence that got to be pretty friendly. So, we figured we'd put them together for a podcast, and it was a really interesting conversation. Here's what happened
1: Testing one, two. Liam, what's up, man?
2: How are you doing?
1: Good, how are you?
2: I'm good. So I guess touching back on one of the things, one of the first things we were discussing, or I I thought was interesting, was the idea of making old, new music. (laughs) Um, You were saying, you know, something about how, you know, sort of, I guess I couldn't tell if it was a, you know, a perceived reaction from fans or what you felt like fans, you know, truly wanted, or whether it was something in yourselves that kind of said, okay, when we did the Karma record, we're going to do it this way. And then with this one, we're gonna sort of do it slightly different you know with with better days coming um
1: you know Man, you, you know, i you said it best in the email that you sent me where you're just trying to write music you haven't heard you know so with right yeah and that's 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 a great way to put you know when you're a writer of any kind or an artist of any kind that's what you're really seeking to do, I think but yeah of course. But with my band having come with this brand that was you know really successful back in the day and being a part of a cultural movement with the 80s rock thing right and that, but but being in the headspace that I'm actually in you know uh, with all the other music that I write uh, coming back to it you know we try not to second guess too much but I mean man there's there's fans that're just staunch uh, 80s fans they don't want. They don't want you to, um, you know, they don't want you to change. I mean, I mean, Dave Ling gave us a really bad review on this record because he was like the first two songs, the first three songs are worthy of the of the first record. And then they then they try to do the Doobie Brothers on Better Days Coming. But I was, you know, we did Better Days Coming and it was kind of like, you know, It it was our answer to down incognito. We were just taking the piss out of ourselves (laughs) because we don't care. Because we don't care anymore, man.
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the you know the next question is like what what is motivating you and what you know because the way that I listened to that first record, you know, the self titles is it's very much like you're there's something to prove and I feel like you know me I'm I'm 35 and I kind of feel like that kind of puts me in the middle. Where I can look down on younger bands and see like, them coming out of the gates hot you know, and swinging for the fences. And then I, I feel like there's this other you know, section of older bands that I feel like just kind of have fallen off like an old athlete and they just can't get it back. And you know, and what I liked about your record is I, didn't feel, I felt like it was right down the middle. Um, you know, but without naming like, like, names of – I'm sorry, go ahead. Like a chubby – <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I felt like it was respectable. It wasn't trying to be anything it wasn't. Um, yeah,
1: I appreciate that.
2: And and there's a lot of things that I hear where it's like, you know, without naming names, there's bigger acts who just kind of keep, you know, it's almost like the last, the next record is worse than the one before it.
1: Well, my pet, yeah, I mean, it's one of my pet peeves. A lot of guys are completely replete with by, for ideas, and and uh, they keep writing the same song over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm like. Right. You know, this and is – go ahead.
2: I was just going to add, like, you – you know, do you feel like that's because they're tapped, because they just don't care? Do you think that they legitimately think they're writing groundbreaking music and they're just not? Uh, and I ask this almost like I need to p- mentally prepare myself for, you know, some yeah. kind of fall off, you know? Because yeah. I feel like it's across the board and it doesn't necessarily happen – you know, it happens in sports, but it doesn't seem to happen in, like, say, writing.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's all of the above what you're saying, and not to mention the, the one part, the, the part that you didn't mention is if, if you're a massive band, when we know right. that there's a few of these guys like this that are still putting out records, they're still thinking. I mean, it sounds to me with the ones that keep rehashing the same music that they're afraid, right? Uh, you know, to, to move to the left or the right because they're really. You know, they want to appease their fans and they think that they can't, you know, make a move either way. For me, man, I mean, I'd slip my wrist if that was me. I couldn't do that. And so I'd rather be broke with no bread and continue to do what I want to do rather than be confined. In a in a ivory castle with the billions and keep singing yeah. the same tune. I mean, it's yeah, just, I mean, I, it's I, artistic I, I, death. It's artistic death. So, but I but as for younger bands, I mean, for older bands that are, don't sell a lot of records that keep doing the same song. I think those guys are like reaching for a thing that that doesn't exist anymore, and they're thinking. Some of them, I've listened not to mention any names, but I mean, some yeah. of them still think it's the '80s. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know? And so I just think, you know, I'm guilty of not knowing a lot of the new music around me. You seem to be really, you know, aware of a lot of stuff that's going on. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a plus, man. I you, mean, you, put, you put me next to somebody who's 15 years younger than
2: me and we'll see, though. Yeah, um, well, you know, yeah. there's still things coming up and, you know, I, I am, I'm relatively aware of things, but I find myself, you know, again, getting that kind of dad head of you know for lack of a better term where i just can't relate to anything new and not to say that i don't like it i don't want to sound like i'm a luddite and that i don't appreciate certain things and you know but there's just a lot of stuff where i'm just like ah, my ears just can't handle it i hear you know i anything too quantized anything too much on a click track just kind of irks me and i know that that's just a nurtured bias right um so well, I yeah, think,
1: I, I think the point that you get for me, what happened was that when I got, I'm 52 now, so I'm looking at this from a whole other perspective. Looking at it, going, okay, well, I have this brand. We did pretty good. There's a lot of people that like what we do, yeah. and there's and honestly, there's a lot of young fans at our shows now. It's really surprised me, uh, you know, 30 and under that are digging on it. Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, I, I definitely felt like after I wrote that review, I was getting a lot of, um, you know, responses from people that made me feel like, almost like I'm Ellen DeGeneres and I came out of the closet liking Winger and now I've made it okay for other people to admit that they do too.
1: Oh, hey man, and thank you, know? you thank you and, for doing that. Hey I man, thank, that.
2: thanks for giving me something to rock to. So
1: <laughs> I appreciate it. It's,
2: uh, you know, but it's been really kind of interesting to me to watch even just the comments from certain people like, Oh man I've been digging those last three records but I haven't opened my mouth about it or
1: well I mean you know, you know though, let we'll get to that in a second yeah. I, I, the, the thought I was fin- was th- saying just before this was that you know I've looked at what I wanted what I want to accomplish in my own life and then I also need to respect uh, the the fans that have kind of put me in the place that i'm at so i right. when it's when it comes to winger i'm like hey you got i i want to give them what they're looking for to a to an extent but i also want to make a uh i want them to concede that i need to move forward on something so that's kind of how those records go you know we're like tin soldier's a good example of it yeah so, we're like, you know, this is kind of where our heads are at. Can we can we spoon feed this to you enough where you'll still hear what you're hoping to hear in our records, but you'll yeah. also go into this place? So it's not so confining that we just, you know, people are wanting us to just do the first album over and over again. And I think anybody needs, anybody will get to that point where if you're working, like if you're doing Dillinger's ex- escape plan in uh, 15 years, you know, you're going to have a certain percentage. Hardcore fans are going to want that one that thing. I mean, yeah. when I listen to your music, I don't hear actually like one thing. So, but it, yeah. it, there is a you know, a, uh, there's a line drawn in there where you know you can define what you guys do, and you and you know I think it's important to re- to respect the people that put you there that are still buying your records. You know, and give them enough of what they want, but also you know. Define yourself for who you are at that time, because yeah. otherwise you're dead. I mean, it just doesn't yeah. work. You know? Yeah, I, I definitely think that the point you're making about,
2: um, you know, you kind of, your fans put you there. You do owe them a certain amount of, uh, you know, comfort, I guess, in, right. you know, or un, non-spontaneity, security in what it is that you deliver and what they enjoy.
1: You know, Um, as a young artist, I repelled the idea that I was pigeonholed into the 80s. And now I go, okay, I was pigeonholed into the 80s. That's what happened. And I I can live with it. You know, it's like it's one of those things. And oh, and by the way, if you really are a fan, this is the other thing I do. And I've actually turned a lot of people on just to orchestral, orchestral music who never even knew anything about it. So that's my yeah. way to do that, but I'll still give them what they're looking for on the winger stuff to a point, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the Dylan, I don't know if it's the, the
2: young attitude with Dillinger, but we've always kind of been, um, you know, if you see the Buddha in your path, slay the Buddha, uh, right. kind of, you know, or, or almost like, you know, we need to educate our audience. Our, our responsibility is to take them somewhere they're uncomfortable with. And, and I think to some extent we've always left them wanting a little bit more than, you know, leave them wanting more. has always kind of been, you know, maybe not our attitude, but a little bit of the bravado. And, um, but, you know, again, thinking about aging, you know, your fans are aging, you know, we do have a lot of older fans coming back. We do have a lot of younger fans coming in. Um, You know, we have songs that are hitting the radio now, so it's it's funny just seeing this whole thing transition, and thinking about getting older, uh, and kind of how to do it all gracefully without you know without um, shrugging off your base.
1: Well, if you you yeah, you stand the test of time and you start becoming a blue chip stock, and you start thinking, okay, well, I'm not just we're not we can't you know the chances that we used to take, we had nothing to lose. And then you start becoming a blue chip stock and you're going, hmm, we have this and this and this to lose. Right. Is it OK to throw it away? I mean, it is OK. Yeah. But you just have to make the call if you're going to do that, because, you know, you guys have been around a while. And yeah. when, I listen, when I listen to, uh, you know, the transition between your first album and your last album, it's a pretty big transition from my perspective. Sure. No, I agree. You know, um, so you get you and then you become, you know, you start to have this long legacy And you start to look back at what that actually, that takes on its own uh, perspective and meaning, you know. Yeah, when you were talking about
2: like spoon feeding your audience, I feel like we've definitely, again, maybe not in a uh, premeditated kind of way, but there's always been this thing, you know, when we put out that Unretrified song on that first record, it was definitely to make sure that we did not paint ourselves into any corners. Right. You know, and kind of give ourselves something to live up to for the rest of the career. You know, like, okay, well, it's okay to throw these curveballs at our fans. And, you know, strangely enough, it seems like those are the songs that the fan, you know, we at least get more of a response visually for the songs that I wouldn't consider the most atypical Dillinger song.
1: Now, did you actually talk amongst yourselves and say, do you guys think this is cool to put this song on here? Did you kind of just instinctively do it?
2: Um,
1: I mean, I think there was a,
2: at least with Unretrified, there was a little bit of, you know, like, can we do this? And then it was like, yeah, okay. the fact that we're even asking means we have to. And I feel like it's our responsibility to work with it to a point where it has to work. You know, it's, um, Mm, you know, you you were saying something about, you know, I, I forget exactly the point you made, but it was something about just kind of owning your, you know, owning what it is you are. I think a lot of people pigeonhole us and say that we... You know, are a math metal band, or the band that started math metal, and and like most artists, you hear somebody pigeonhole you, and you don't like it. Instinctively, you're like, no, that's not what we are. Or okay, you think that's what we are, then we'll give you the antithesis to what you think we are. And then right. I think, sort of a little bit more recently, we've been a little bit, we acquiesce a little bit more into if that's what you say we are, then we're just going to grab it and own it, and just be the best at that that we can be, and. You know, and keep adding what it is that we do in addition to that, you know, the stuff that's not simply just math metal. Uh, but understanding that
1: we have to – we have to uh, – I've, ne- I've never even heard that term, math metal. I love yeah. that. That's awesome. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I
2: mean there's all kinds of like, you know, millions of subgenres. And, yeah, I mean when I heard it, it was like, sure, it is mathy. You know, but similar to you, we're we're probably a lot more uneducated than most people would think. And I think that most of where we're coming from and a lot of what we default to is like a very punk mentality and, you know, very attitude driven. How does this feel? Right. Not, you know, it's not is this riff cool to play or even, you know, sometimes it's not even how it sounds so much as just does it have snarl? Can you imagine playing it live and stomping to it? Right. You know, can you imagine, you know. Being able to pull this off because if it's too much, then we'll probably dial it back a little bit. You know, right. again, we're not trying to be the best at practicing, but there was- is this kind of idea of having to prove something, and I'm just kind of wondering if and when that feeling will ever fade off. Do you guys still feel like there's something to prove or is it just well, kind of getting your rocks off?
1: I mean, we went into this new record and the and Rev and I sat down. We sit down it's exactly the same on every record since the very beginning. And then you know, on this album we actually said, you know, we got nothing to prove. We really actually right. we said that to our amongst ourselves. We just sat there, yeah, right, we got nothing to prove. Fuck it, let's just do Right. The best shit we're doing uh, between us, and let's pick the. You know, we don't spend a lot of time on a record. We we wrote Karma in ten days. The tracks. Okay. It was like a song a day, and it was like let's let's work till we find the coolest riff, and the way we and and I was going to say earlier how it feels is a big thing. Yeah, probably the most important thing. And then um, and on Karma we did you know okay so it goes back to Winger Four when we Winger Four was the first record we'd done in a long time, and my take on it was that the future of the band was to go much more progressive because the players are capable of a lot more than we've been doing sure and so we you know we did this record that it's not like prog rock but it's a lot more progressive for uh, you know for us and there's literally you know some atonal stuff happening in the solos like on uh, m16 you know, whatever anyway okay. it's a i could get into the whole right. rant rave, sure. but the point the point was that you know, I felt like that was the future of the band. Well, it came out. I mean, no one got it. The fans were like, "Okay, it's kind of cool, but we don't really get it." Yeah. And so, when Karma came along, I was like, "All right, we're gonna give them what they want." I mean, I I really did sit there and go, "Look, Reb, we're gonna we're gonna go head, rock our faces off for the first five songs. No ballads. Up and just, you know." fast licks you can play really fast and all this and, and even on pull me under I was like what's the fastest lick you got and how right. long can you hold it so it did a little a little you know and yeah. that's kind of how that was born and, and bang the crowd goes wild and they dug it and I and it dawned on me I was like okay I get it you know we are this band and this is what they want us to be so as long as I can fuck around with weird scales like stone cold killers like you know the... sure it's like a octatonic thing that i just i'll throw a weird lick i'll throw a weird scale at rev and say write me a riff with these notes or something like that and right and and uh, as long as i can get my theory yaya's off enough i'm fine you know so right. we we do we do karma and people dug it and it sold way more than the other one and so on and then we came into this exactly saying we got nothing to prove let's let's work on what kind of a throw everything we've ever done into the soup and stir it up and see what it is, you know. Basically. Right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think it, I think it came out well. I mean, exactly. absolutely. Um, and, it, and I think that, you know, if this time it's a matter of not trying to prove anything, then that almost comes off more sincere. Um, I,
1: I think so. And, and so we're, you know, we, that was five years in between a record because I don't know about you guys, but my band... Do you guys how often, how many shows a year do you guys do? Uh
2: so on a touring cycle like this past 12 months probably almost 200.
1: Yeah, well there you go. So and my band, you know, Reb's been in White for 11 years, John's yes. in in, in uh, Starship Rod teaches at Berkeley, so it's kind right. of like you know, we can get together every two three or four years to do a record and, and tour. I mean, I don't know how much I don't know how long uh It'll be before White Snake goes out, but we're—I mean—we're touring till the end of the year. But so ours, our records are a little more few and far between because you know we've we've all got so much stuff going on. Yeah. The thing about our band though is that we get together because we dig each other so much, and it's such a great hang, and that's really yeah. the, that's really the centerpiece of. You know, our thing. We laugh, we laugh a lot and it's just a, you know, it's a blast to hang out with. Reb's one of the funniest motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah. And so we just, we laugh and it's fun. And, you know, when it ain't fun, man, I don't want to do it anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, when it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome to see a band not really have a lineup change and come back and still do it and be doing the same things because you know that nobody's forcing you to do it. Right. You know, and that's, you know, again, where it comes off way more kind of sincere and earnest. Um, you know, and, and Dillinger, it's kind of a funny funny mix where nobody right now lives in the same state. And, you know, none of us went to high school together. None of us knew each other. Um, we're exactly, you know, okay.
1: When, so we have the, that in common. We, we yeah. When
2: the, when the band started, it was friends, you know. But over the years, almost everybody has been replaced. Um, so we kind of had to learn how to be friends in a, in a way. We were kind of almost boy banded together. Uh, you know, based on who could and would do it, you know, because as you know, it's not necessarily the best guitar player for the job who gets the job. It's got to be the person who's willing to tour. And, and you know, I, I don't get paid for the hour I'm on stage. You get paid for the 23 it took you to get there. There's got to be, you know, it, how we play on stage is one thing, but I got to be able to get along with you for the other 23, you know, and, and know that your girlfriend's not going to get in the way when we got to catch this plane and, <laughs>
1: you know etc etc. So That's very interesting. So how many original guys are there? Uh at the moment there's one. And that would be you or No, that would be ben, our
2: guitar player. I'm the I'm the oldest non-original player. And how long have you been Almost 15 years. Okay, well that's So. Yeah, Ben I've been at least rehearsing this stuff for 15 and playing officially for about 14. So yeah, you know, almost half my life at this point. I don't really know what else to do. I wouldn't really know what to do.
1: And does everybody contribute to the writing? How does that go down? Uh,
2: writing is typically, Ben um, is the main fountainhead. Uh, comes up with the, you know, the lion's share of riffs and rhythms. Uh, Billy, our drummer, will contribute rhythms as well uh, and ideas. But you know, the, main, you know, the main constant has been Ben um so every drummer has come in and kind of dropped their uh little piece of the puzzle on everything and i kind of like to say that greg and i you know ben ben and billy build the build the walls you know kind of st- stud everything out mm-hmm. and greg and i kind of go in and maybe you know hang the drywall or you know paint <laughs> um you know right. more interior decorators so to speak a lot of the stuff you know similar to what you're saying i think I've done more rearranging and suggesting. Hey, let's do this twice, or right. you know that kind of stuff. Um, contributing a riff here and there, but for the most part, my focus is just on on bass. Um,
1: and so when you guys do a record, I mean, this this sounds a lot like my band. I mean, you know, we don't yeah. none of none of us have ever lived in the same state, really. I mean, yeah. from the from the second we got on tour on the first record. I mean, it was that was it. Red lives in Pittsburgh, and I was right. in various places. Rods in New York, and John's in Memphis, and and you know we're just you know so it's always a pain in the balls to get together to rehearse for a tour and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, anything is a pain in the balls, you know. So totally, I totally wow. envy envy bands that you know all live in the same place and yeah, would make it so much easier, man. Absolutely.
2: I mean, at this point, our you know pre-production is like. You know, or or rehearsing is basically the first show um, in a lot of cases. Sometimes, you know, we we get to jam certain things a little bit, but it's kind of a matter of all of us showing up and just knowing what what needs to be done. Um, And even this last record, you know, the One of Us is the Killer record, I didn't play any of that stuff live as a band with anybody until well after it was recorded. Um, You know, once we had to start touring it, it was like, okay, I guess we got to learn how to play it together.
1: That's what we do, man. I mean, dude, yeah. we, we when we did our first, we put our record out, and we were lucky enough to get the Scorpions tour, and we'd never done a gig, you know. So because right. I came I came out of Alice Cooper, and I knew Reb from before. Rod was in the drag, so uh, right. And uh, well, Paul was the original member on keyboards and guitar, and he came in with me and Alice. We rehearsed for a week in a in a uh, rehearsal studio and walked up on stage chord one reb's amp goes down scorpions yeah. are like who are these guys they're terrible yeah. get them <laughs> off the tour now get out you know oh, so yeah and i and i wasn't a front man dude i was like uh yeah you know, i was kind of standing up there going oh thank you very much uh how's it uh, you know, yeah. yeah two Anybody weeks know any jokes two weeks later after watching klaus i'm like listen motherfucker let me see your hands you know yeah. like, I just learned it all on the spot, man. I came out of a band with my brothers where each guy took a lead song, and I, mean, I was never a front man. I just, right. I kind of developed it as I went. So, you know, it's always been that way. So, yeah, I mean, I really, there's just so
2: much to the artistic or the creative process that just has to do with showing up almost every day, you know, and just, exactly. you know, getting that ten thousand hours in there. I mean, there's so many, you know, I do a, a decent amount of teaching these days. And so much of what I end up telling kids is just like, okay, just keep doing whatever you're doing. You're doing really great now. Just do it for ten more years, you know. And right. you know, right. and it'll all make sense. Just commit to
1: that. Um, it's hard to pass that on to people that are so eager. Yeah. When did when did you start playing bass? Uh,
2: I started. I got the bug at around eleven. Uh, I went on like an outward bound backpacking trip. And one of the guys that we were, you know, that was kind of mentoring the trip, uh, we started talking about music. I was saying that, you know, I was into, you know, everything from Chili Pepper and Faith No More and Primus and all this stuff and how I wanted to be a drummer. And he was a bass player. And he had said, like, oh, yeah, all those bands have great drummers, but they also have great bass players. So I kind of went home half idolizing him and, you know, just kind of listening a little closer to the music I was into and realized, yeah, I kind of want to play bass. So around 12 I got a rental instrument and just kind of attacked it since then.
1: And you um, grew up you grew up in Philly?
2: Yeah, grew up in Philly, you know, non-musical parents, no real external musical influence at all. Um, just, you know, a lot of MTV. As cheesy as that sounds, there was definitely no, a moment man. where it was like, "Oh wow, I can just get really good at that," and that's what happens. Let's Where do I sign? Well, you're doing um, it. Yeah, I mean, I'm To some degree you know that the there's no um you know i think about like the paradise city video or something and it's not like we're playing to those crowds but uh it's still been you know nothing short of an amazing blessed experience
1: absolutely man did did you go to university or you uh Uh, what's your i uh i went to school for
2: woodworking so i was studying furniture And sculpture with wood as my focus, and then uh, it was a you know University of the Arts, so it had um, like a music program, a theater program, dance program, all that stuff in the same campus. So I was able. Where was
1: this? Where was this?
2: In Philadelphia. Uh Again, I don't get very you know I have (laughs) aside from touring, I don't go very far. Um, Well, you're very well.
1: You're you're a very well-spoken dude. So I was just kind of curious. I
2: I, well, I went to a. I'll rewind a little bit. I went to an all boys prep high school um, and did three years of Latin. So there's a you know a, a little bit of uh, I don't know um, a, a little bit of indoctrination in there, I guess. Uh, and then so then I went to a you know like I said a arts high or arts college, took woodworking uh, and was taking one credit in the music department every semester. So I would go and take bass lessons in a, in like a jazz department. Um, and then three years into that, uh, after my junior year, I signed the papers to leave. And then that's when I joined Dillinger. Oh, cool. So, um, you know, there was so- definitely a lot of, uh, personal turmoil with, you know, family and, and certain friends about leaving school and kind of following, you know, some really at the time, very, primitive dream with some underground metal band
1: uh hey man i dropped out of high school and my i mean my dad was very cool about it and and on his side of the family everybody's got one or two doctorates in something okay amazing and they they were all freaking out man they were all freaking out and so you know I, i I've always been very sensitive to it. I, I I went back for GED, and I took some, and I went back to University of Denver for a few things. But I was just never, it was never my thing. But I can relate to the family up in arms. They were, they were freaking out on it, and uh, yeah, I sent them all a platinum record. You know, the first right, yeah, (laughs) vindicated to vindicate my dad more than anything because he was the one that had the balls to let me follow my my thing even though my parents were musicians so I was encouraged to do music but it was, back then that was 1975 or 76 and you know, they were freaking out
2: Yeah, I I think for me it was, um, you know, with my mom it was, my dad was a little bit more laid back kind of follow your dreams about it my mom I think had a little bit more invested in it And you know, just kind of wanted to see me get the degree and then make the decision. Um, You know, but it it was hard because I knew the opportunity wouldn't wait. Uh, Absolutely. And I I knew that school would always be there. And now I've kind of, you know, I I don't poo-poo higher education, but I'm really, really glad that I did it the way I did it. And um, you know, it makes me way more confident with every other decision I've made. Absolutely. And
1: and then you don't have you don't live with regret.
2: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely not. There's, there's, or, or, or debt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's not too much of that. Um, so, how did,
1: how did you get the call to do Dillinger? So, the, um, the original
2: bass player in the band, Adam, uh, was paralyzed in a, in a car accident. So, from the armpits down, he, he became immobile. Um, they had a fill-in playing with them for a little while who just kind of, I guess, didn't completely fit. You know, he was getting the job done, but he wasn't the dude. Right. So they, uh, they called a friend of mine, um, this guy Jim, who'd played in this band, Believer. They were like a uh, kind of underground proggy tech metal band. He'd played guitar and bass on the studio recording. Dillinger were fans of the record. They asked him to play bass. He couldn't do it, so he gave them my number. And kind of gave me their number. But Jim had never seen me play. I just worked at a record store. He would come in, we would talk about music. And I guess he just put. Instinct. Yeah, he was just like, this guy's not a chump. Um, But I had never played with a pick. I'd never, you know, really played at that level. Uh, But was a fan of the band. Long story short, I went and listened to uh, a mixed. Copy of Calculating Infinity, which was the band's first full length in their car the next time they played Philly, and was like, okay, I have to do this. Um, You know, Jim introduced me, like I said, in person, and uh, you know, it took about six months for me to get used to the pick and kind of the vocabulary that Dillinger was speaking with. Right. And uh, you know, in a physical way, like I was familiar with it. Viscerally, I could listen to it and understand it, but to play it was a different animal. Uh, and then it took about six or seven months of me playing and then they, you know, rehearsing on my own. Then Jeff, the guy filling in, had to go to a funeral for two days. So they played CVs in, in New York and a, a kind of punk space in West Philly. What
1: year was that?
2: That was in 2000.
1: Wow.
2: So, uh yeah. Exactly, CBS, two thousand. Um,
1: yeah, that's exactly my thought. Okay. So
2: yeah, I played that show and played five of the seven songs that they played, and kind of stood on the side of the stage for the songs I didn't know, and turned my volume up for the one or two parts of those songs that I knew. Uh, you know, I just kind of—I guess that was sort of my my interview. Uh, and then they toured with Jeff for another six months. I dropped out of school and kind of bit my fingernails into oblivion waiting for the official call. Uh, and then sometime around August September, you know, they they I got the official call up and by November I was in Europe.
1: Awesome. That's so, an awesome story. I yeah pretty, pretty
2: pretty pretty funny trajectory. Uh, and I've just kind of been holding on to the reins ever since.
1: Look up and there you are Dancing with the stars getting too close but so far away You're gonna to tour through the end of the year. What's your thing? We we'll to tour.
2: End? We tour through the end of uh, July. Oh, I'm sorry. We we tour in July 7th. Uh, we'll end that European tour, and then we really don't have anything else um, for the rest of the year, as far as I know. I'm actually uh, taking the plunge. I'm the first one in the band, expecting a kid. Uh huh. So that's coming November. Uh, so congratulations. I congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I asked politely for some you know, space around that time. And I mean, we actually did have to turn down one show in Mexico, which, you know, to anybody in Mexico listening, I'm I'm (laughs) terribly sorry, but. You'll uh, be back. I'll be back. Uh, And then, yeah, so hopefully we'll take that time to write. Um, I've got some other uh, local music stuff brewing that I'm trying to, um, you know, get out in that time.
1: Now, when you teach, you said you teach, like, like, do you teach on Skype or do you teach? Yeah, I
2: teach, teach on Skype and in person, uh, preferably in person, but the Skype thing is actually, uh, it's pretty functional. Um, it is. I, I've and,
1: done quite a bit of that myself.
2: Yeah, and it, it's great, too, when I'm about to meet somebody in person, you know, or I had one student in, in uh, Ireland who I would, you know, we'd had Skype lessons for six months and then I got to meet her when I got to London um, and, you know, give her a lesson in person and kind of really dial into some more of like the hand positioning things that I was talking about that aren't as easy to explain, um, right. you know, over, over Skype. But it's been, you know, tremendously rewarding. Um, you know, and, you know, I don't really, I think I stayed out of the game because I didn't think I was good enough. But I think a lot of it is just, you know, the philosophy and the mindset that you need to be in. Absolutely. Um,
1: That's everything, dude. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, you know, a lot of my lessons are mostly just attitude adjustment. And, um, you know, hey, if you heard this, or if you've never heard this, check it out. I think it could be something, you know, that you could mine for inspiration.
1: It's just mentoring. Um, it's, it's, really yeah, just, totally. I find it to be that. And, and if you can, Cal- recalibrate some things that somebody's doing with their instrument or something. That's like the, yeah. the, bon- the bonus. It forces me to learn so much. It forces me to really know what I'm
2: talking about and to stop myself when I don't. You know, and be like, you know what? I don't know. I'm going to stop here. You know, I'll get back to you. Um, you know, and there's, I guess, a little bit to the idea of I need to pour some out of my cup to be able to fill it with anything. You know, I, I, re- I really think there's something about giving back and. You know, you earlier when we were talking about your fans and kind of knowing who put you there, you know, I I really think that appreciation is like an undervalued um, emotion. And uh, and there's also a Ben Franklin quote being from Philadelphia. I'm kind of obsessed with, which is uh, teach a man as if you taught him not with things proposed as things forgot. So the idea that you would teach somebody something as if they forgot it instead of like, oh, you're so stupid for not knowing this yet.
1: That's excellent. I like that. Um,
2: you know, because I, I really think that music is this thing that it's, you know, we're just kind of radios tuning into a certain frequency. You know, we're just trying to channel the energy through us and try not to take any responsibility for it. I mean, I personally try to take as little responsibility for it as possible and just let it do its thing.
1: That's really what it is. I mean, I'm kind of a dick if I don't get to do that, you know, writing a lot and uh, do the... Open myself up to the listen. I never feel like I write anything, it's all coming through from somewhere. But yeah, there is a feeling in my bones that if I don't have the discipline to let it happen, that I kind of start to petrify and it's it's right, it's a bad feeling. So, um, yeah, and I almost
2: feel like again, back to you know, what happens, what changes your
1: heroes or what happens when
2: people get older? I think that it is some of that, like. You know like anything it just kind of atrophies. It does. Um and so, so yeah I think keep... that's yeah just kind of a fascinating you know take on all that.
1: Well, cool, man. You're a very yeah. interesting dude. I'm very oh, happy to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, you too. And, and I really like your band. I I I'd heard of your band, but I hadn't heard a lot of the music, and I've gone back to listen to a lot of it, and it's it's really badass. Right. Just well, that. like
2: I said, I don't think uh at least for whatever whatever I delivered to that um to that end, I don't think, you know, would be where it is without, you know, certain winger tracks in there. I mean, I'm that first record I'm telling you is is You know, and anybody in my band will will back me up and and other friends too. That it's just kind of this not even a closet, not even a guilty pleasure, just something that I've always been. You know, it's it's almost like my uh, I don't want to say like workout song or something, but like, you know, before we go on, I'll rock, you know, any of that first record and recently some of the newer one too and just kind of get in my zone just because it's it makes me smile. It's good, it's good feeling music.
1: That's really cool. I appreciate that.
2: Uh-oh. Sorry, I got somebody knocking at my door. And, uh,
1: and there's, a dog. There's a tune about that. Well, it's been yeah. really nice talking to you, man. And, and I Sweet. Give, give your dog a hug for me. I'm a, I will. I'm, I'm a dog person, so I hope he does all right. Thank you. I will. All right. And, and congratulations on uh, you know, having a baby soon and all that. Very nice to meet you. And. Uh, you. I'll uh, look forward to seeing you in the UK, man.
2: Cool, awesome. Well, this has been a, a true pleasure.
1: All right, Liam, take it easy, man. Okay, see you later.
0: Hi, this is Michael Azarad from The Talk House. You've been listening to the Talkhouse Music podcast with Liam Wilson of the Dillinger Escape Plan and Kip Winger from Winger. For more musicians talking music, visit Talkhouse Music at music.thetalkhouse.com.
1: to the (laughs) What am I listening to? The Talk House.